Welcome to Let's Get Information. My name is Alexa Silvaggio, and this, my friends, is a podcast for seekers, entrepreneurs, spirit junkies, and wellness lovers of all kinds. Each week, we'll be offering you inspiration, education, and co-creation that will help you cultivate an epic life. So let's dig deep, lift up, and thrive through these personal stories, tips, how-tos, and most importantly, great, rich truth. OMG, Megan Bruneau, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, girl, thanks for having me. (laughs) What a gift to have you on Let's Get Information. Um, So you guys, for those of you that don't know Megan, I actually met her... um, God, what was that like three years ago? Three, maybe oh, four. Yeah, it was no, it was it was three. It was probably like February of 2015. Oh my God. I can't yeah. even handle it. And it was kind of happenstance. She had just actually moved. Um, you were working for Aloha at the time, and I, I was like recruited as like an ambassador. Um, but Megan, you wear a lot of hats and you create a lot of beautiful <laughs> things. And I'd love for you to share um, with our listeners what it is exactly that you do and what's really like, what's cooking? What's cooking for you right now? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, it's so funny. I still don't have an answer to that question. I like don't have an <laughs> elevator pitch. Um, I think maybe you posted this meme. Some, somebody posted a meme that was like, when, when people say, what do you do? I say like any, anything, everything it takes or anything it takes. Yeah, yeah whatever it takes. <laughs> whatever it takes. Exactly. That's what it was. Yeah. So I do whatever I love it. it. Um, so I guess, you know, my trade, like what I'm, I'm trained in is, uh, uh, psychotherapy or I have a master's in counseling psychology and depending on where you're listening in from, I'm either a psychotherapist or a mental health therapist or a counselor or a coach or whatever I can legally call myself in your state or country. Um, so (laughs) that's what I, that's what I do, uh, as my kind of, as I say, trade, um, and it's my bread and butter and I love it so much. Uh, it's the most rewarding profession and I get to just sit or stand beside people on their like really intimate journeys and whatnot. And so I, I do that a good portion of the time and it's allowed for, um, me to actually use it as sort of like a research uh, space as well, because through speaking to literally thousands of people at this point about what they're going through, um, you know, I've been able to kind of pull some themes and that's actually lent to my other work, which is, I guess, like you could say content production. So I've done a lot of writing. Um, That's ultimately what kind of took me to to New York. Uh, So a lot of kind of just like started out as a blog and then just submitting to various different publications. Mm. Um, Amassed about 20 million views at this point. Um, And then most recently I've been like, I'm going to put myself out there in in self form, not just hiding behind the pen or the keyboard. Uh, So I've done a bit more like YouTube and um, uh, podcasting and I don't know, like Instagram stories and things like that. So I guess like I'm trying to embody this personality or like quote unquote brand that really truly makes me cringe as I say that. Um, But (laughs) (laughs) But it's imperative, baby. It's imperative. You know, it's like, and and you have all the tools to like have that brand and you have all that information for the people. Like you gotta let them know. Exactly. And so, um, you know, I I think something I realized early on when I, I, you know, I guess I, I, started speaking to people. Um, I mean, even more than a decade ago, actually, like on the suicide prevention line kind of thing and wow. got my master's in, in 2011 and, uh, have been steadily seeing clients, you know, during that time and ever since. And I think I've learned that I have a little bit of a different approach than your average counselor, um, or therapist. Uh, I'm pretty, uh, I like to swear a lot, so I hope it's okay. I swear on here. Um, yeah, you keep it real. Yeah, I'm pretty self-deprecating and I'm pretty relatable. Like I speak, you know, openly about my own struggles that I've had with eating disorders and depression and anxiety. And, um, you know, it seems like the most uh, prevalent one nowadays is dating (laughs) and being single and 31 in New York City. Um, So Can I get an amen? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So I think, you know, I I feel somewhat of a responsibility. I think part of the reason I'm on this earth is to be somewhat of a translator. I take a lot of the dense uh, material that's out there around trauma and shame 
shame and perfectionism and mental illness and try to translate into something that's a little bit more palatable um, wow. for millennials um, and not just millennials. I have a lot of people who aren't millennials who, who follow me and such. So yeah, I, I guess like I, and then I also do a lot of stuff in like uh, executive coaching and um you know, helping early stage entrepreneurs and whatnot or execs uh, gain the courage and confidence to overcome whatever's holding them back from following their dreams. So I kind of have three main buckets, or I guess actually my major bucket is, is perfectionism. But underneath that umbrella is like eating disorders and body image, um, like depression and anxiety, kind of self-confidence stuff, um, dating <laughs> and relationships. And um, then the like executive coaching slash like entrepreneurship wow. stuff. So that's kind of, so that's basically me like, basically like all of our fundamental needs, you know, like being loved, being fed, feeling secure, like totally. all the things that like make us grounded humans you help people with. And that's, that's huge. But I want to actually know a little bit about how you transition. Cause I know you're from Canada <laughs> and I want to know about your transition. What inspired you to move to New York? Um, what that was about, what, what your intention was. Cause again, we're here to like, to, to inspire people to go out there and create epicness in their lives. And I feel like making a transition to New York City, which, you know, it's like the slogan is, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. Like what inspired you to do that? Totally. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so crazy when I look back, like, I'm like, how am I here? And like, what am I doing? And is this, does this make any sense? I mean, I ask myself like weekly, you know, like, is this sustainable and you know, how long will I be here? Um, but yeah, it's, it, it wasn't really a logical decision, to be honest. When I look back, I'm like, wow, would I do that again? And I'm so glad I did. Like, it's been just the most epic journey. But, um, you know, I think there are some some real lessons that have come out of it that I think would be valuable for your listeners, especially anyone who's wanting to take a big risk. So, um, Yeah. yeah, I traditionally had been a really risk averse, um, at least in most areas of my life. Um, and so, for many years, I struggled with bulimia and then anorexia. And especially when I was struggling with anorexia, I was really perfectionistic and just like afraid of any uncertainty, really like wanted to have everything planned. I literally made lists like down to like the second of what I was doing every day. Yeah. And um, I was just not comfortable with uncertainty. And I hadn't discovered Buddhism and hadn't come to understand emotions from the perspective that I do now. Um, But, you know, at the end of that struggle or toward the end of that struggle, I went through a really, really rough breakup, which is like such a classic, like eat, pray, love story or whatever. But like, (laughs) I, you know, was really broken open and forced to feel. And Mm. part of it was being forced to feel part of it was, I don't know if anyone listening who's had their heart broken has had this experience or this experience with grief, where you kind of just have this fuck it mentality. And you're like, you know what? I don't care if I die. Like, it's not like a suicidal mentality, but it's more just like there's less regard for life because you're in so much pain. And I remember I'd been so afraid of everything, like right down to flying. Like I hadn't, my brother lived overseas for years and I'd never visited him because I was so afraid of flying. And that was like one of the first things I did when I was really heartbroken. I was like, fuck it. You know, my plane goes down, whatever. Like (laughs) I'm going to go visit my brother. So I started doing things and really stepping out of my comfort zone. Um, not really knowing that that was actually what I needed to heal from my eating disorder at the time, but, uh, you know, doing things that my eating disorder and and perfectionism had always told me not to do, like, you know, go a day without exercise and like eat things with carbs. Like, so I started like really small like that. And the interesting thing I think about when you start stepping out of your comfort zone is, um, it becomes kind of addictive. Like you start to get this thrill out of it because you, I mean, you get this kind of high, uh, it's like a roller coaster, Right. And so, the major tool that I recruited to allow me to do all of that, which has was, you know, a real process and took many years was self-compassion, which I can get into more in our, our um, chat. But yeah. armed with that tool, I started to be able to step out of my comfort zone and take risks because I knew I could support myself through whatever uncomfortable emotion came up as a result of it not going the way that um, I wanted it to go. So I, you know, my brother, as I said, he'd lived overseas, but at this point he'd moved to uh, Washington, D.C., and I, in 2012, I went and I visited him and I got on a plane and, and, you know, saw him there. And he was like, you know, Meg, like New York city is really close. You should just like get on a bus and go there. And this was again at a stage when I was like, you know, I was maybe like a year and a bit out of the breakup and I was like, still a yes woman. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do this. Okay. Yes. And so I like booked an Airbnb and like, you know, got, took a bus to New York city. and didn't know. I actually was a girl who was living there at the time that I knew. And I was like, Hey, do you want to maybe 
meet up for a coffee or whatever. Um, long story short, I was there for a few days and I just had like the most amazing time. And literally when I got off the bus at like Penn Station, I was like, I have to live here. And I couldn't explain it because I'm like the least fashionable person you will ever meet. I don't really care <laughs> about true. food. I like <laughs> don't know anything about art or music or the scene or anything like that. I'm like yeah. a BC girl. I was born and raised in the middle of British Columbia. Like I spent 11 years in Vancouver, like lots of, I don't know, outdoorsy stuff there. I'm a big like skier and soccer player and tennis player and stuff. And I, I just like, there was something about New York where I was like, I have to be here. And I became kind of enamored with it, but it didn't really make sense because I, you know, I couldn't just come here and work being Canadian. And so it became this kind of like infatuation love affair that caused me a lot of pain at the same time, because there was this part of me that's like, oh, I always feel like I'm supposed to be in New York, but I'm never going to be there. And, uh, at the time I was working at a college in, in British Columbia. So in Vancouver and, uh, it was a great job. Like it was, you know, eight and a half weeks vacation, like amazing. Um, what we call a pension, you guys call a 401k, um, you know, would have had like the full mat leave topped up if I decided to have kids like amazing health benefits and dental and, you know, so many sick days and professional development. And I mean, I was talking to really high functioning students about their like relationship problems and their anxiety. And it was just, it was amazing. It was such a great job. Um, and during that time I had started my blog, um, which was called one drinks perspective. And I kind of just wrote on, you know, various different mental health issues and stuff and themes that I saw in clients. And, um, I, I don't know, I just felt this kind of like thirst for something more. Like I was just kind of like, you know, I, my writing at that point was starting to get some eyes and people were giving me some really positive feedback. And I started writing for bigger publications like mind body green and, um, yeah, PP, I was just like, wow, this is interesting. Like maybe I could reach more people because that is why I think I'm on this earth. Like I was like, you know, I I think I'm here to try to reach people and help people and maybe it's on a grander scale than I think. And Beautiful. I like to joke that it's, it's like when people ask why I moved to New York, I'm like, oh, it was equal parts like idealism and narcissism because, you know, there's this part <laughs> of me that was like, I can change the world. And yes. uh, so yes. um, in that time, I, I had an article that went viral for My Body Green, and they ended up inviting me to this conference of theirs, their inaugural Revitalized Conference, which they now do every year. And uh, so I went to this conference not knowing anyone. I literally didn't know what the word entrepreneur meant. Like, I honestly didn't know that that was a thing. And I didn't realize that people could just start businesses. Like, I thought yes. you had to, like, I don't know, go to business school to start a business. Yes. And so <laughs> I, uh, I went to this conference, and I was just, like, so... I mean, my world was so like flipped upside down in a really beautiful way because I was like, oh my gosh, I never knew that this was possible. I didn't, first of all, I didn't know there was a world that existed of wellness. I mean, Vancouver is a really like health and wellness focused place, but it just doesn't have the same kind of like, I don't know it. I mean, it's, it's not as capitalist, you know, I, I should, if I'm completely honest, it's not as capitalist as the States are. Right. So totally, there are less course. people who are, who are entrepreneurs and, um, and yeah, so I just had this like world opened up and I was like, wow, this is like fascinating and really cool. And I I became kind of addicted to it. And I visited New York several more times over the next couple of years. And, um, I, Oh, I guess it was, yeah, it was over the next couple of years. So anyway, I, one of the founders whom I'd met at that conference, I kept in touch with. And, you know, at one point when I was visiting the office, he was like, you know, I think actually we could, you know, his, his, I can't remember which position it was. One of the people who had worked there was like, I think we could actually use you here. Like if you'd be willing to, you know, embody this role, then maybe you can, you can come work here. And honestly, like all I heard was like, visa in new york yeah yeah <laughs> so i was like yes yes done. <laughs> so I, I don't even have to marry someone yet <laughs> totally, totally. so i like got back on a plane went home like told my boyfriend i was living with like that i was moving to new york left my Whoa. like really secure job um and everyone was like what the fuck are you doing yeah. um but you know it just felt right like i just my um, you know i i until that point had never really been a huge believer in like the universe and I don't know, my gut and stuff like that. But I was like, no, I just like, I have to do this. I just knew I would regret it if I didn't. And so, so yeah. So, I mean, like after that offer, like maybe not even a month later, like I I moved with one suitcase to New York and honestly, Alexa, it was like a nightmare at first. Like it was really, really hard. Um, Oh, it's a tough city. Such a tough city. And you know, I had been really like, like, so part of the reason that I felt like I compelled to make that move was because I had been like 
working in a super cushy job. As I said, I was playing soccer three times a week. I was living with my boyfriend. I had like so many friends in Vancouver. Um, you know, I went to Whistler every other weekend. Like my hometown was just three and a half hours away. It was really safe and really comfortable and comfort zone. totally. And I preached about like stepping out of your comfort zone, you know, and I knew that in order for me to reach my next level of spiritual growth, like I needed to challenge myself. And it's such a privileged thing to say, right? Like I need to invite in this discomfort because, you know, I've, I've been so fortunate in many other ways in my life. Um, but either way, I was like, I, I need to go out there and, and I need to feel some of this stuff that I'm helping my clients work through. And so went to New York and to be totally honest, like the, the job was not what I had thought it was. Um, the company had some uh, shifts or some internal changes and whatnot, like right after I got there. And so I got put into a role that I had no experience in whatsoever and very typical startup kind of situation. But, you know, I think I ended up thriving in it, but it was definitely not what I went there to do. And, you know, alongside that, my roommate was like a total nightmare. And, you know, it was just, again, like having you know, Coke parties till 4am with like 50 people in our place. Like it was just ridiculous. And, um, you know, boyfriend moves in, doesn't pay rent. And, uh, and I didn't have any friends in the city. Like I literally knew no one. Um, and it was freezing cold. Like I didn't realize how cold New York winters were. I clearly had not prepared myself. And this was like a particularly cold winter they'd had. My boyfriend and I broke up, like we tried to do long distance, then we broke up. And then actually like a really painful part for me was that, I'd had this, this girl reach out to me, um, on who'd read my blog and she commented on one of my posts and she was like, um, you know, Hey Megan, I'm having a hard time. I'm being bullied at school. And you know, can I, can you talk kind of thing? And so I wrote her, you know, like I get many people who reach out to me and I said, like, send me an email. And this was before I kind of reached a capacity where I can't really do this anymore. But you know, I, she sent me an email about how she was being bullied and having a tough time. And I wrote her back what I thought was like a really, you know, good email and supportive and told her to connect with her school counselor and, you know, her parents and stuff like that. And I never heard back yeah. from her. And then a couple of weeks later, I got an email from a woman who was like, you know, our stepdaughter killed herself. Um, mm-hmm. And we Googled her name trying to find some information and we see she's, com- she'd commented on your blog. And so I was absolutely like just wrecked by that experience because even though I looked back and I was like, you know, I really don't think there's anything I could have done differently. It just gave me such perspective. Like I was like, you know, I came here to change the world and I'm selling green juice to the 1%. This is not what I came here to do, you know? And so that was like a, it was a really, really tough, I'd say like six months first settling in here. And like my, eye didn't stop twitching, I think for maybe two or three months and I sure. cried a ton, you know, I had that experience that I was asking for. Um, yes. but wow. I, you know, I, ultimately I started to make some friends and it got warmer and I ended up moving out of the place that I'd been with the roommate that was less than ideal. And, you know, things started to kind of look up and, um, And then after about six months at that startup, I was just like, you know what, like, this is just not what I came here to do. I mean, I think they were doing really amazing things, but it just wasn't it. That, that was not my, it wasn't authentic for me, you know? So um, I was like, fuck it. I've, you know, if I can't make it here, it's not like I'm going back to Syria, right? Like I'm going back to a country where I'm like so safe and, you know, can easily just start a private practice. And yeah, maybe I won't have fulfilled my New York dream, but that's okay. Like at least I tried. And so I, uh, I left there and I went for a a visa. Um, that's like, it's again, this is like so American, but it's like for aliens of extraordinary ability. Um, so because I'd had so many views on articles and things, I was able to make the case for being someone who was like, quote unquote, extraordinarily talented. Um, so I wow. ended up getting this visa, which was like, so like, it just opened up my world because then I could essentially work for myself or, or freelance, you know, um, yeah. which is what I've basically been doing since. So yeah, um, yeah so I mean, that was, that was uh, August of 2015. And so, yeah, it's been like basically two and a half years since then of like hustling and, um, you know, doing cool shit. So that's basically my story. Yes, woman. Well, we need you to keep doing cool shit because what you're, what you're putting out in the world is really, really epic. Um, so I've been, I've been reading quite a bit of your stuff lately and, and I really appreciated your latest article, um, on it's the Huffington Post, I believe. Yeah, yeah, on yeah. The one on loneliness. loneliness. Yeah, and I'd love to have you share a little bit 
uh, with our audience just about what that was about and, and maybe some just, you know, about the struggle. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that article, um, and obviously I encourage everyone to read it, <laughs> um, it, it came out show. of, um, you know, it, it starts out because I was, I had a yet another sort of rough, I don't know. You can't even, wouldn't even call it like a breakup. What do we call like the breakup of a situationship these days? You know, like it's like somebody you're dating for a few weeks or a couple weeks and then yeah. it ends. Like, do we call that a breakup? I don't know what to call it. I know. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, I'm just like, oh, I guess they were like not available or like whatever, but right. I'm just like, okay, that's done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like when I'm referring to it, it feels so invalidating to like not call it a breakup because it feels like a yeah. breakup. But then when you it say does. breakup, people are like, oh, was he your boyfriend? And you're like, well, no, <laughs> I was but super for a couple weeks. I, I was, was invested. Really yeah. Exactly. I was super <laughs> invested. And uh, yeah. so anyway, so I dated this guy for like whatever, a couple weeks. And um, honestly, like, I don't say this about many people. I never actually like slander. I usually don't slander the people I date. Um, but I really, truly believe this man was a sociopath. Like, honestly, I became like really obsessed with the literature on sociopathy afterwards. and like, listened to a bunch of podcasts and I was like, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I'm also oh, looking at them, like, I'm learning. I was also like, people or people who are perfect targets for sociopaths and it was like women who are highly empathic like really compassionate and forgiving <laughs> and like see the good in people and you know want to help and you know but they're also like kind of like risk takers like which I totally yeah. am like in that way yeah. so anyway so this whatever so this, the breeding ground for sociopaths yes exactly and also yeah, one in one in five ceos is a sociopath as well and next oh, that God, with the highest right. prevalence of sociopathy and next to that is lawyers so just so everyone knows <laughs> great. Um, okay, great. So all the people that your parents probably told you to look for yeah careful exactly <laughs> so um anyway so this situationship ended and uh i was like really <laughs> torn up about it and you know, I mean, I've, I've certainly been rejected and like heartbroken, of course. And uh, I think this one was just like particularly challenging because it felt, um, it honestly felt like I'd been like emotionally assaulted in some ways. Like I felt like this person had pretended to be someone who they truly were not in order to kind of get, um, open me up in certain ways. And then like, yeah, then they just sort of disappeared into the ether. And, I unfortunately um, have my yeah, version of that. Yes. Yes. I'm sure most people listening do. And so it was pretty traumatizing and, um, I, you know, I, it, again, as I said, been rejected, had lots of breakups many, many times. I've got my go-to. It's like go to yoga, like listen to either like acoustic covers or like Mad World on repeat, or there's like a few <laughs> songs that I have that I just like are my go-tos. And this, this time it was like not cutting it. I was like, I need connection. I need fun. And honestly, I love dancing. That's like something that got me through, I think my breakup of 2011. Um, and so I had a, a guy friend who was like having a couple people over and he was like, Hey Megan, like come over. And I was like, Oh, I'm like such a wreck. Like, I don't know. And he's like, no, like, this is what you need. Like come over, whatever. It was Halloween or the weekend before Halloween. And they were all going to go out to Brooklyn and uh, go to some like, I don't know, ridiculous party that I was definitely not interested in going to, but I was like, oh, yeah. I'll come over and I'll have one drink with you guys. And I went over there and like one drink of course turned into basically a 5 41 a.m night before yep. i decided i was gonna leave and you know clearing I out his <laughs> liquor cabinet because that seemed like a good idea at the time and yeah like i'm a therapist and i'm also a huge believer in like intentional coping and honestly i do think that if you're super self-aware and intentional there are times when you need to have a big night you know there are times when you need to have the pint of ben and jerry ben and jerry excuse me like there are times when I you need to do could not agree more yeah and i really think that like with coping we pathologize or we judge coping and we make people feel shitty about it. And it's like, you know what? Give yourself permission to have a big night because that was exactly what I needed. Like a big night and oh we got And then it's like a shame spiral when we when we don't like let ourselves have that or then when we do have it, but it's not intentional and we're like, oh my God, now totally. I'm a wreck because I went out. Like totally. no judgment. Yeah. Like just let it exactly. be what it was. Exactly. Like do it and do it awake, you know? And so I did that yeah. awake. And at least like, like, you know, as awake as I could be after however many tequila shots and whatever else yeah. was in this life. <laughs> and so- yeah did that we like danced our way through like an 80s playlist a 90s playlist like early 2000 it was great it was such a fun night and oh, then I, I left you know at like because I was like had a moment of lucidity and was like I've got to go home I need to wake up in my own bed and so as I'm walking home like you know the the sky opens up and it just starts like torrential downpour and I mm. like of course didn't have an umbrella and I was just kind of like it, it was like maybe a 20 minute walk 
And I just, I was listening to music, but I just like became overwhelmed with like this sense of loneliness and pain. And, um, you know, I think that our society, again, really pathologizes loneliness. Like we talk about how it's like kills more people than obesity and blah, blah, blah. And we say all these sorts of things. And we're always like, you know, be alone, but like not lonely. And, you know, it's a sign of weakness or it's a sign of neediness. And in order to be spiritually evolved, like you have to be totally okay on your own. And I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Like I think we're relational human beings and we need connection. And loneliness is really just like saying, hey, you need to connect. You're yearning for connection. And that's evolutionary. And that's like what's helped yes. our, our humans stay around for however many years oh God, we've survival. Right. So so I was having this like just like overwhelming loneliness that I was experiencing and just kind of like, I don't know, sadness around everything that had happened and all the same kinds of thoughts that I'm sure many, you know, single 30 something, especially 30 something women have, um, or 20 something, whatever many single people have where they're like, am I ever going to be in love again? You know, am I ever going to find someone? Am I just too broken? Do I just have too high of standards? Like, can I just not connect? Is it my attachment issues? Was it like this situation with my parents? And, um, Yeah. yeah, I think like, that experience really inspired this article that I most recently wrote that you mentioned, because I think, first of all, we don't talk about loneliness enough from a place of like compassion or self-compassion, which again is kind of my wheelhouse. So we tend to judge it. We tend to talk about how we need to like fix it and not feel lonely. And it's like, you know what, actually the more Buddhist way I think is to just make space for it and like, let it bubble up and notice it without judgment and be curious about it and practice mindfulness and self-compassion toward it. And yeah. it will pass. Right. And, and also to listen to it because it might be there to say like, you're feeling really disconnected. Maybe instead of, you know, working these however many evenings, maybe you do need to connect with an old friend or, you know, maybe it is time to overcome that anxiety around, you know, going on Bumble or Hinge or whatever. Um, So, so yeah, so I think like the gist of the article was basically just kind of some, you know, it was like a listicle in ways, like all the things to do um, when you're feeling loneliness, but not push it away because, something that I always talk about with clients and oftentimes like when I'm being interviewed is this idea of like primary emotions and secondary emotions. And so yeah. our primary emotions are the ones who are, that are like super evolutionary and they're there for a reason. And in this case, like loneliness is there to be like, you're yearning for connection, you know, you want to be around other humans. Like that ultimately has made it so that we've been able to procreate and like not get eaten by tigers and share food and, yeah. you know, fall asleep and stuff like that. Right. So that's like a really evolutionary primary feeling. Um, but what we tend to do, whether it's with loneliness or like anxiety, that's telling us to watch out or anger, that's telling us we've been mistreated or a sadness that's telling us like, you know, that we need again, like connection and support or, um, any of the, the difficult emotions that we feel that are there for a reason, we tend to pathologize them or judge them because we live in this like fucking gratitude and positivity obsessed society that says, Oh no, well you should just be happy all the time. And like there are starving children in Africa and like, no, just like think your way out of that. So then we feel shame for feeling that primary emotion or we feel anxiety for feeling that primary emotion. So that's when we create what we call a secondary emotion or, you know, in Buddhism, it's known as the second arrow or, you know, the struggle that we create against our pain that causes the suffering. So, um, yeah, so I guess like the the article was basically just to remind people that like loneliness is there for a reason. It's, there's nothing wrong with you for feeling lonely. It's an opportunity for awakening. It's an opportunity for self-compassion Impermanence will come in and take it away. Um, and maybe it's just there to tell you like that you're, you need something that you're not giving yourself. God, you know, we really are only as needy as much as our needs are not getting met. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as we're not meeting our seeds ourselves through self-compassion. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. We're both on the same page. That compassion piece that you're talking about, like it's so hard in the self-help community because it is true. It's like this kind of disregard for our own feelings and emotions because like, we're like, no, but it's all gratitude and unicorns. And like, I love me some gratitude. And hey, I love me some unicorns. Hundred percent. But but like we cannot buy like we can't bypass. Totally. And you know what? I think it's interesting because as healers or as um you know, people who are in this community and I work with a lot of, of people who are, you know, various different like therapists or coaches and, and whatnot. And there's this yeah. shame around being imperfect or having an imperfect, like emotional experience or physical experience, because they believe yeah. that we have to be this like 
the gold standard of health and wellness or spirituality or whatever that is. And, you know, I always remind people, the reason we went into this work is not because we were experts in it. It was because we were suffering, you know? And so of course, like we have come so far and we can offer so much to our clients or, you know, our patients or, you know, our students or whatever terms you want to use. But like, we still have our own shit and we're allowed to have our own shit. And so while some people I think probably look at me and are like, damn, like that therapist is fucked up. Like, or like, wow, like (laughs) I can't believe she's like airing her dirty laundry or like, you know, like oversharing with the world what she's going through. But for me, I'm like, you know what? Like, aside from being a woman, I have every level of privilege possible. I'm white. I'm able-bodied. I'm English speaking. I live in a safe country. You know, um, I grew up like where my parents were, they, they were able to afford a roof over my head and, you know, I, and food in my belly and all that sort of stuff. And like, I'm educated and whatever, like all of the layers of privilege, I have those except for being a woman. And so I think, you know what, like, unfortunately people listen to me, you know, it it shouldn't be that way that like privilege allows for that, but it it does in many ways. And so if people are going to listen to me, I'm going to say something that not everybody else is saying. And that's, you know, this is the truth. This is what most people are dealing with because I see it in, again, as I said, thousands of people at this point who I've worked with and, um, you know, I feel it myself and I've come such a long way spiritually. Like I, you know, and maybe even taking the spirituality out of it, like just my relationship to myself has transformed and, you know, the level of, of contentedness and joy I feel today in comparison to what I felt a decade ago is like monumental. However, mm. I still struggle, you know, about twice a year, I go into a little mini depression, you know, I still struggle yeah. with shame um, that lurks up because that was like my attachment trauma and tells me that I need to be thinner or I need to be better in some way, or I'm not enough or I'm not level. And, you know, I think it's really important to talk about that stuff so that people feel less alone and so that people feel less shame because even like with this article, and this is what I, the feedback I get with most of my work, I just get people reaching out being like, thank you. Thank you for sharing this because I now feel less alone. And that's a huge part of self-compassion too. Oh God, it's imperative. I mean, some people take our vulnerability and, and they want to use it kind of against us. Sociopaths. But the people (laughs) that are like, you know what I mean? But then the, there's the people that are like our tribes people and that are like, you know, on the same path and see the world through a similar lens. And those are the ones that we're writing it for. And totally. because, you know, people like you and I, and you in particular, because you have a voice and you have the privilege of having a voice, it's like, it has to be used Totally. For the positive. Totally. It drives me nuts to see on social media these yoga teachers or these whoever with these huge followings that are talking about this superfluous stuff and projecting more ideals of perfection when really we're supposed to be talking about wellness. Oh my gosh. I, I know. I, I lose it. Like, especially. Yeah, especially in the wellness world, because I, you know, I, I do often say it's a euphemism for like the diet industry. The wellness industry is the diet industry like 90% of the time, you know? And Mm -hmm. again, the message to people is you're not enough. Um, but if you buy this thing, you will be right. So like really that's, and that's part of the reason I have a lot of conflict around, um, you know, I don't know, having like products of, of sorts, because I'm like, well, that sort of goes against like what I'm, I'm preaching, which is like, you have everything you need, you know, what you need to do is to learn how to be more self-compassionate and accepting. And I think, I think there actually is some merit to like conscious capitalism here and there, but just not in the way that it's, it's um, sort of, I don't know, uh, celebrated in our uh, circles and whatnot nowadays. Um so yeah, so I, I definitely think that we need to speak up on this stuff. And look, like, I'm not going to pretend that ego is not involved for me, right? Like, I definitely have some ego involved. I sometimes ask myself, like, would I publish under a pseudonym, you know, or would I publish under, um, you know, anonymously? And would it bring me as much joy, you know, if it were to reach as many people? And I'm not sure because I never do publish under a pseudonym. But, you know, the reality is is that, yes, ego is absolutely involved. Of course, I like, you know, getting these emails from people and part of its ego and part of its meaning, right? It's really meaningful to feel Um, like this sort of connection from people and feel like you're relevant in the world because we all just just, say it goes back to that connection. Totally. Yeah. We all just want to be relevant. But I think like with the ego piece, like as long as you know that you're doing more good than harm, 
it's okay to let ego be somewhat involved. I think the challenge is, like you said, when more harm is done than good. And I don't think that comes out of a place of intention for most people. I think it's just ignorance. Like I think so many of these influencers and stuff that we see on social media and whatnot, they're pawns. Like they are pawns for the diet industry and they don't realize it. They think like, oh, I'm just selling my detox tea, you know, <laughs> like I'm just yeah, making this yeah. side, this is my side hustle. And it's like, fuck girl, yeah. like, or guy, like, no, you are perpetuating um, an yeah. unrealistic body ideal that is at the root of so many women's and men's struggles, you know, all genders, eating disorders or self-loathing. Um, and also just like self-objectifying you know, ourselves so that we continue to, um, it's like we take a step back in feminism and we believe that our worth is so dependent on our appearance and social media is like really bad for that. So, um, yes. And and we're constantly validating that too. I mean, you see it, like you see these accounts where people are like, you know, in like a bikini, basically like in a very sexual, like hypersexual pose. Totally. And that has like 8 million likes versus like, me sitting there like, you know, drinking a coffee. Right. Totally. (laughs) Totally. Of course people are going to like the the sexy girl. Yeah. Yeah. It's sad, but that's where we are. Exactly. No, I know. And like, I guess I just, I don't know. Like I, I, I don't want to always preach to the converted. So I feel like maybe there's a way that like, the real, I've like, like literally thought about this before. I will never do this probably, but it's like, maybe I should make nude YouTube videos, you know, like maybe I should yeah, like, yeah. like do yeah. something where I'm like kind of sexualizing myself, but also like adding substance. Like it sucks that it has to yeah. be that way. And you know, in some ways, like we, we already are doing that. Like both of us in the sense that we're like, Oh, I mean, I know for me, but when I make a YouTube video, I'm putting mascara on, you know? Oh, and like totally. most of the time 100%. I'm not wearing mascara, but like, I'm like, Oh, I'm in front yeah. of him. You know, I want to look attractive because that will maybe draw somebody in, but then I want them to actually take the content away and I think that that's okay too like I don't think there's like a right or wrong but it's again it's this whole like is it being used for harm or good or somewhere in the middle and like how can we help I don't know just offer more information to people who might not find it otherwise who would never pick up a book that has like Buddhism or spirituality on the cover but they might read an article on dating and then you know somewhere in there I'm tossing in some information around like impermanence or something yes some truth bombs are hidden in there some little gems I love it. Yeah. I was just talking to John Duff, who I interviewed um, last week. His episode just dropped on Monday. Awesome. And he has like the wildest, craziest Instagram. Yeah. You would look at him. And if you just looked at the pictures, yeah. you'd be like, he's a crazy hoe. Like literally. <laughs> like, you were like a crazy gay pop icon. Yeah. Like what's going on? Right. But if you actually read what he's saying, yeah. you're like, oh, shit yeah <laughs> you're legit dropping wisdom and people are like actually getting involved because you're sitting up there in your underwear with a six-pack right like it works totally <laughs> you know totally. It's like, the, it, he's necessary. using his platform in a really productive way despite the fact that if you were just kind of like glancing at it and not really going in yeah you'd be like yeah. oh basic totally totally yeah super wild Super, super wild. Yeah. And I, um, so, okay. Go, go, go. Oh, well, I was just going to say, and just one thing with that too, because I, I don't want to seem like I'm totally contradicting myself. Like, I, I do think there's opportunity, like, to also acknowledge like what you're doing or what, what he's doing, you know, like, like, I think, yeah. I think my only concern about that kind of thing, and maybe I totally rationalize with myself that I'm not doing this because I don't perceive myself to be um like, you know, the kind of like underweight stuff that's happening that we're seeing a lot of on Instagram that's like perpetuating um this again unrealistic body ideal that's causing so much so many problems for people like I think there's yeah. such an opportunity too in that to be like hey here's how like my this is not like necessarily a like a body type to aspire to right like you know to kind of tell yeah. a bit of a story and be like I you know, haven't eaten carbs for two years you know or like I yeah. like you know but before this shoot that I did I like I was dehydrated and like, didn't, you know, I, I did a liquid diet or this is my, I have yeah. a really fast metabolism or I've struggled with an eating disorder. Like just tell a little bit more because I think one of the dangers of, um, one of the major dangers of that social media that 
seems more superficial is just that it it perpetuates this ideal. I mean, social media has become the new media, right? So like, instead of like, we used to be yeah. like, oh, these magazine images are so destructive for young women. And it's like, well, no, social media is so destructive for young women, especially people who yeah. are like face tuning themselves and like making their waist smaller and shit. And oh like, oh, pictures with different angles. And so, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I think like, of course, yeah, I definitely... I think I try to like post photos that I maybe like look better in or whatever, but also ones that I look really real in and like the no makeup selfies yeah. and you know, um, yeah, they're, they're no more Photoshop allowed on my page. Totally. So anyway, that was a little tangent. Sorry. No, I love it. I love it. And back to the John Duff piece, John Duff is like, you'll see it in his story too. Like, yes, he has a six pack and yes, he's fierce, but like he literally talks about all the time, how he just like has this metabolism. That's like absurd. Amazing. I'm like, so happy. He literally, and he talks about it. He's just like, yeah. And he's like, he'll show images of him just like eating whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm just doing my thing. Awesome. Like, that makes me what so I look happy. Like. Yes, we need those people. Yeah, we really do. We do. We do. Um, so I want to know a little bit about who your like, who are your big teachers? Like, who inspired you to become a psychotherapist, to become a writer, to become this person who is unabashedly just awake and able to talk about all these things that are at one point were considered taboo. Who are your teachers? Aww, thank you, Alexa. <laughs> um, Great time. Oh my gosh, I have several. I mean, the first one that comes to mind who I always reference is Pema Chodron. I mean, she, she's been oh, like she's probably the most formative teacher for me in terms of my, um, I don't know, I guess, integration of, of Buddhist philosophy into my life. Uh, I read When Things Fall Apart after the breakup of 2011. And, um, yeah. it just absolutely shifted my perspective. And that kind of became, that was like a gateway for me into reading a lot more like Thich Nhat Hanh and Alan Watts and Jack Cornfield and just yes. starting to really like, you know, Tara Brock really like dive into a lot of the other teachers out there who've been super formative for me. So she was huge. Um, from a more clinical perspective as a therapist, um, Kristen Neff and Paul Gilbert, yeah. um, and Ron Siegel, I'd say as well, those three are real, um, trailblazers with like self-compassion, Paul Gilbert and Kristen Neff are kind of like actually the the parents, I guess you could say of it. Yes. Um, they are the ones who do all the research and, and, you know, make it so that it's so empirically supported and, and um, broken down into the kind of three components that it's uh, um, comprised of. So they were, those were like a couple of my main teachers around my, my actual um, philosophy or orientation in terms of like what's what's made me want to be like a writer and a therapist um I've I was like one of those really lucky kids that just knew what she wanted to do like my parents went through a really really rough divorce um basically between the ages of eight and 12 for me and um yeah. I think originally I started out wanting to be a family therapist I'm sure there was a part of me that was like I need to make sure that no one goes through this again or that you know I can make sure that yeah. people are happy families um, and so I started out wanting to be a relationship and family therapist. And that was like, honestly, when I, as young as I could learn the word. And then I started taking psychology and in high school, we had it offered at our school. And, uh, that was when I was began, um, when I was 15 was when I started struggling with bulimia. And so that too was kind of me wanting to figure out like myself. And so it just solidified my interest in psychology. And, uh, then I was in a car accident my first year after university and, and got a PTSD diagnosis. And that too, um, just, you know, it was my first, my first experience of like where I was aware of my experience with trauma. I mean, I, I dealt with a lot of trauma as a kid that I didn't realize until I did a lot of my own work in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like, if I look at, I, I was like, I, I don't know if it's Pema Chodron who says this, but there's a quote, like life is your teacher. And it's really powerful for me because I do believe that. And I do believe that like all of the more challenging things that I went through, you know, when it comes to trauma and struggling with eating disorders and depression and anxiety and such, like they've all been my teachers. They've been what guided me to, um, you know, to go into the profession that I have. And, you know, my, um, <laughs> I mean, if you want to, um, pathologize it more my parentified or codependent relationship with like my mom, for example, um, which, you know, some people might see as not a super healthy thing or having not been a healthy thing. That's what allowed me to be super attuned and empathic. And, you know, I do think I have kind of a gift for connecting to people. So I think like all of those difficult experiences were teachers in ways. Um, and then, you know, I think, um, just another teacher that I didn't expect to be my teacher. Um, you know, I didn't and don't have a super great relationship with my dad. And, uh, I think in some ways, like rebellion has been a teacher of mine, like wanting Mm. to 
not do what I was expected to do. Um, you know, he was a lawyer for 43 years and I think there were a lot of expectations or at least I perceived these expectations to live a more traditional life and, you know, sort of do what was safe. And, um, in some ways, I think sometimes like the rebellion that began for me when I was like 15 or maybe younger, um, has just transformed into a different, kind of rebellion that I don't so much see as a rebellion anymore because I don't think it's rebellious to follow your dreams. Um, but uh, I think that was a huge teacher for me because the maybe resentment or hurt that I felt actually empowered me to be like, fuck this shit. I'm going to live my life how I want to live my life, you know, and yeah. that inspired me to take these risks. And, um, and, you know, all the pain that I went through, um, that I, I wrote to cope. So that was like, like I was writing poetry when I was like, like I was entering poetry contests when I was like, like in grade three. So like, I remember just wow. like always writing. And, you know, I remember when we first got our first computer before the internet, obviously, and stuff like that. And like, just like, typing up word documents and I've always kind of written just for myself. And it wasn't until I guess like 2011 or 2012, whenever I started my blog, I think it was 2012 that I started actually writing like for the public. So that's, you know, yeah, I guess it's pain. Pain has been my greatest teacher. <laughs> mm, God, I love it. What are your, what are your like non-negotiables, like non-negotiables for healing or for connection to self? What do you recommend to people the most when when people are struggling, whether it is with loneliness, whether it is with um, kind of a lack of self-compassion or a lack of self-awareness, what do you, what would you like prescribe to someone if, if you had to offer them just like three simple tools to connect? Um, for prescribing for someone else, um, who's new to this, honestly, the first thing I would say is just start to pay attention, like just start to notice, um, their experience. So usually meditation or yoga or journaling or like therapy again are good tools for this, um, or, um, adjuncts to this process because it can feel really confusing or, yeah. foreign for someone who isn't naturally super introspective or, or, I mean, many of us are super introspective, but we've never given ourselves permission to actually just be with what comes up. Like we're really judgmental in response to introspection. So mindfulness, sure. you know, not to seem totally cliche, um, but mindfulness is really the place to start. So giving yourself permission yeah. to actually like have whatever experience you're having and just be an observer. Um, I always say with my clients initially, like, let's just treat this as research, you know, like we're in this together, we're researching your experience. So we come to know you really well. So what, like we can figure out like what you need moving forward, because it would be totally unethical and irresponsible of me to be like, Hey, this is what you need to do. Feel happy when I have no idea what's happening inside for that person. And they maybe don't either. So I would start out with just mindfulness, um, really paying attention to your experience. Um, usually what happens and from the perspective I work with like self-compassion is you start to notice, um, this critical inner voice. Like we all have it. We all have this inner critic that's been, super helpful for us. Um, at some point in life, you know, maybe it protected us from bullies or from, you know, abuse or, uh, criticism from our parents or siblings or partner or whatever. Um, maybe it prevented us from taking a risk that might have left us vulnerable to uncomfortable emotions that we didn't necessarily have the, um, luxury of feeling because of the, the childhood environment we grew up in or whatever. So either way, I mean, we start to notice we have this critical inner voice and it's been serving for many years and it's probably not serving anymore. And that's part of perfectionism is this inner critic, um, that lends to depression because, you know, we're always beating ourselves up and nothing's ever good enough and anxiety because we're always kind of on edge and afraid that we're going to screw up, um, or yes. fail. And we fear what will the shame will fear if we feel, excuse me, if we fail. So, um, and, and, you know, eating disorders and things, cause that's, you know, usually a way of trying to keep yourself from feeling any uncomfortable feelings because we don't know how to deal with them. So, you know, the awareness piece, then once you start to notice the inner critic, um, I usually tell people like, don't try to change it. We just want to get to know it. We just want to understand it. And a lot of, I don't know, I think more outdated perspectives in psychology uh, come from like what we call a narrative perspective, which is usually like have a conversation with the voice and tell the voice to fuck off and like tell it that you hate right. it and it's so bad and blah, blah, blah. And actually um, 
in my experience, both personally and professionally, that's not helpful at all. I don't think you can spot treat compassion. Um, this work involves being compassionate to everyone. Um, maybe not necessarily to your abusers just yet or ever. Um, that's one area where I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it or, or encourage it with a client right away. But um, totally. with this sort of internal critic or inner critic that has tried to help you for so many years or probably has helped you for many years, part of this is like, for not forgiveness to the critic, but like just understanding like, Hey, this is why I'm hard on myself. It makes sense that this is my default. This has protected me for so many years. You know, I didn't learn a more compassionate coach like way of relating to myself. I didn't have a model to internalize. And so, you know, after becoming aware, I, I usually work with people to just actually give yourself permission to be hard on yourself, but to really just again, start to notice it. And then we start the kind of like language of self-compassion and that's a whole, um, you know, an undertaking, but certainly one that can really be taught. And there's tons of literature and research out there to support that we can uh, really grow the um, gray matter in our brain and uh, the sort of compassion center in our prefrontal cortex and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, so um, I think just in terms of non-negotiables and things for like starting with a person who's like feeling really disconnected or low or whatever, I think that was your question, but now I can't quite remember because I've been rambling yeah. for so long. Um, awareness, You're on it, girl. Um, compassion to yourself for being critical to yourself before you start going with the, the self-compassion stuff. Um, and I'm not even getting, I mean, I can get into self-compassion, but I'm guessing we probably won't have time. But um, the other piece too is like being really aware of, your environment, like who you're surrounded by, who lifts you up and who you're surrounded by, who, by whom you feel criticized or oppressed because it's, it's impossible to develop a healthy or more compassionate relationship to yourself when you're living in an abusive environment. I mean, it's, it's, I shouldn't say it's impossible, but it's very, very challenging. So while I encourage people to become aware of like their inner world, I also really want people to become aware of, of their surroundings and their environment and see how, you know, either like an abusive relationship or like superficial friendships that aren't really authentic or they don't feel like they can be vulnerable or they feel like it's like any relationship in their life where they feel like they're receiving conditional love is not usually a healthy or helpful one to this work. And if they do have to maintain it and they think that it's important, fine. But then we need to bulk up the, the more compassionate, unconditionally loving relationships in their life. And that might just start with me you know, that's where therapy begins, right? Is like the relationship with the client and the therapist. And that might be their first experience of, of unconditional love or compassion. And that's okay. Um, and then we together work toward, uh, you know, it's strengthening or bolstering up that network, whether it's friends or, you know, going to yoga and experiencing that from, you know, their yoga instructor or whatever, or um, animals in their life, you know, that they feel compassion from. So I think, yeah, I guess like the the three main things that I would say, and this is really just like scratching the surface, um, is awareness. Uh, then once you start to become aware, giving yourself permission to, oh, and actually sorry, hugely major point alongside giving yourself permission to be hard on yourself, give yourself permission to feel whatever comes up. And that's of course part of the mindfulness, but just really being intentional about it, like noticing your emotions and even seeing them from like an evolutionary perspective, like, huh, isn't this interesting? I'm feeling really depressed or I'm feeling really angry. I'm feeling really anxious or I'm feeling really rejected or frustrated or demoralized or deflated or self-conscious or insecure or whatever. Like there's, I I encourage everyone to Google emotional vocabulary um, or feelings vocabulary, save it, study it, start to become more acquainted with an emotional vocabulary for yourself. So you can feel more validated by that. Um, So that would be the second piece. And then just looking at your environment and how it's serving you and how it's not serving you. I love that. That's beautiful. Okay. Um, so beautiful, Megan, I know like I could talk to you for a 7 million hours. Me too. You have, do you have three, um, three books that you want everyone to read? Oh, three books that were pivotal for you. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, uh, when things fall apart by Pema Chodron, I think is like, was the most powerful book I think I've ever read. And, you know, maybe, you know, that saying like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. I think part of it was that for me, like I was ready and the teacher appeared. So maybe it won't be as powerful for people as it was for me, but I still think it's a really great resource. Um, self-compassion by Kristen Neff, uh, was a really, really awesome one. Um, And, you know, the other most formative book that I've ever read, and this one I read 
like more than a decade ago was uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And that's not so much compassion focused, but a huge part of um, self-compassion and, you know, the spiritual work that we do is finding meaning in our suffering. And that's what this book is all about. I mean, it's, it's, it's existentialism, not Buddhism, but there are a lot of similarities between the two of them. And, you know, Viktor Frankl was an Auschwitz survivor and, you know, he went to um, Auschwitz losing his, his, his wife, his kids, his parents, his siblings, and just, you know, it's, it's his story, but then also the therapy, he was a psychiatrist and the therapy he kind of developed out of that, which is all around like finding meaning and being able to integrate trauma and suffering um, because there are so many lessons in it, as I'm sure you've, you've heard through my story. Um, that's how I make sense yeah. of, of what I've been through. And I think everyone can find meaning in their suffering, but it does take, uh, an extra layer of kind of like creativity or thought or practice. And so I think, yeah, the most formative books for me, Man's Search for Meaning, When Things Fall Apart, and Self-Compassion. Yeah, none of us get a free ride on the the suffering part or the pain part in our life, right? We don't, <laughs> we don't, we don't get to skip that. None, none of us are are foreign to that. And and it's it is amazing, Man's Search for Meaning, how he turned that into how he actually survived. hundred you know, percent. Really amazing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah. yeah. Awesome. So wild. So wild. Okay. Now my angel, it's time for the rapid fire round. Oh, the rapid <laughs> fire round. Okay. Rapid fire, baby. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw some like this or that either or is at you. And I just want to hear what your jam is. Cool. Okay. I'm to know you baby. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Megan, coffee or tea? Coffee. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Extrovert. Yoga asana or seated meditation? Yoga asana. Yes, Deva. Sex or sleep? I mean, sex when it's not with a socio. Actually, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they have high testosterone. Uh, um, another thing that I learned. Um, yeah. So much truth. <laughs> sex, I am obsessed. For sure. But, you know, I'm I love a dry period. Okay. Bur- bourbon or wine? Wine. New York or LA? New York. Ebook or hard copy? Hard copy. Amen. Shower or bath? Um, bath. I mean, like once a week after soccer, I bumble in the bath. It's like the best thing ever. It's one of my self. It's pretty dreamy. It's pretty dreamy. Um, milk or dark chocolate? Oh, milk, definitely. I mean, dark. Yeah, sure, dark for like the healthier version, but like milk because it yeah. tastes so much better because of the taste. Yeah. I'm so glad you like were honest about that because I always say dark too, but I'm like, dude, the taste of milk chocolate is like really right? dreamy. So good. Yeah. It's really dreamy. Phone call or text? Um, I mean, phone call when the opportunity is there, but nobody picks up their phone I'm anymore. So My friends back in Vancouver, I'm speaking to you. <laughs> I love it. Um, intelligence or humor? I think that they they occur together. You know, I think humor is is a sign of intelligence. Amen. Amen. Money or fame? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I guess, I guess money because then, well, I don't know. I mean, with fame, you have power. Like what I'm trying to think is I'm like, what will allow me to reach more people? (laughs) Yeah. Whichever one will allow me to reach more people. So I guess fame, maybe. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Okay, my love, what do you want people to know about you? Is there anything that you want to give a shout out about? Anything that you want to share to share with the class before we sign off? Um, I didn't know about me. No, I think, I don't know. I mean, Maybe that you're single? Pardon? Maybe that you're single yeah, and that, yeah. that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, sure. Yeah, hook me up with your friends. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I, I have a, a many... Many, you know, prospects and such. I just, uh, you of know, course you do, <laughs> but no, and I'm and you know what? Like, I'm single I, 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 I'm a big believer. Maybe, maybe this is, you know, maybe all this on that note. I think rejection is protection. I know it's cliche to say, but I fully believe it. And I think yes. that you know, the universe totally has your back, and is like, whenever the right person is around, like they will come along. And until then, this is all, these are all just opportunities for awakening. And I think both yeah. dating and entrepreneurship are spiritual shit, man. So like, and also like, you don't have to be an entrepreneur and you don't have to like, quote unquote, follow your dreams. I don't want people to feel pressured to do that either because I had a client who recently was like, 
I like, I don't want to leave my nine to five. And I was like, you don't have to leave your nine to five. Like, I'm not telling you to, yeah. you know? So like yeah. that sometimes we gl- glamorize, like, you know, working for yourself and stuff. And it's like, no, no, it's fucking hard, man. Like you don't, don't do it unless you really yeah. want to. And it's absolutely awesome to do a nine to five and like have your 401k and retire and like, you know, take your holidays and shit. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I guess I would say, dating, entrepreneurship, whatever life in general is spiritual shit. Just make space for whatever comes up. Try to see it as an adventure because that's exactly what it is. Um, and honestly, like no one else really gives a fuck except for you. So, you know, change your expectations for yourself and be kind to yourself because like you're the one who's in charge of that and you're the longest relationship you have in your life. So you may as well be nice to yourself rather than always being critical to yourself. I love it. And then my love, what is your definition of an epic life? What does that look like? Um, definition of an epic life. I think, I think just being awake, like just be awake and like, not, I don't mean like, you know, never sleep. Like, yes, obviously we need to sleep, but just like, (laughs) like pay attention, you know, like be like, wake up, like, like, you know, elevate your consciousness, elevate all of the collective consciousness and consciousness and doing so. And, um, you know, try to just notice like everything and internally and externally, and then you're not going to miss it. And I think that's an epic life. Just one that you remember because you weren't always focusing on like the next thing or the next challenge or the next, you know, stressor or whatever you're actually present. And yeah, I think yeah. epic life. That's beautiful. Now, my love, how can we all connect to you? Where can we find you? Yeah. Um, so I mean, Instagram, I've like finally kind of succumbed to, no, I shouldn't say I've succumbed, but I'm like, okay, this is a platform that people are connecting on. Um, yes. so yeah, definitely follow me on Instagram. I have been trying to do like, What's your handle? Um, my handle is Megan, M E G A N J B R U N E A U. Um, it's not easy. So yeah, B-R-U-N-E-A-U. It's Bruno, Megan J. Bruno. And I'm sure it'll be somewhere on like the show notes or whatever. Um, so follow me yeah. on there. I post like inspirational stuff and, uh, I also do it's little stories here and there about like little self-compassion tips and whatnot. So follow me on there or shoot me an email, uh, Megan at MeganBruno.com. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Follow me on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, whatever you want to follow me on, join my email list. I only send out like an email once a month. I literally sent out my first newsletter November 1st ever for the first time in five years. So yes. oh, like five deal. people. So, um, so yeah, join my email list. <laughs> I got a lot of really nice responses to people being like, Hey, you know, usually I hate newsletters, but I really liked yours. So that's good. Yes. Well, of course you're, I mean, you really are an amazing writer. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much for- being here. Thank you for being on the show. I want to just take a moment to acknowledge you as a human and acknowledge you as a, as a beautiful, beautiful friend um, and acknowledge you for all the goodness that you're putting out in the world. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you, girl. Well, likewise. All right. You guys have a beautiful day. Thanks again, Megan. Mucho love, sister. Mwah. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. What an absolute gift. Uh, please do connect to me. I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, um, social media in general at Alexa Silvaggio. And if you do have a second, I would be super grateful if you left us a review on iTunes. Why? Well, because that actually makes us more visible to everyone. And I'm all about spreading the good stuff, right? Spreading the goods, getting the word out because I want us all to benefit. I want us all to feel good. I want us all to thrive. So this is your gentle reminder, my love to go out there and create an epic life. All my love. Hold up. 